It's a little slimy, isn't it, the way they try to entrap our Lord in the gospel today. It's the same language, by the way, that's used in our Lord's temptation in the desert. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. So here they come trying to tempt him, trying to to lead him astray, ultimately trying to get him to deny, in a certain way, the ultimate victory of God over sin and death and evil. If it's not clear at the first look, we'll try to get there during the homily this morning. Okay. But look what they say. Well, we know you're a truthful man. It's flattery. You teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You don't care what anybody thinks. So, what's the deal? Is it okay to enter into, like, political engagement in this kind of way? Is it okay to be a subject, as it were, of Rome? Is it okay to support them, all these evil and terrible things that they're doing, keeping down, especially first and foremost, the people of Israel, God's chosen people? I mean, if you're a true Israelite, Jesus, is what they're saying, clearly you don't want Rome to rule over the people of God. This is God's chosen people. God promises us a kingdom. Like That's that's the implication there. And so they're trying to get him on the one hand, to say something that's contrary to the prevailing religious thought at the time. On the other hand, they've got the Herodians right there with them. They have the the people in political power, as it were, trying to get him to say, now you know what, don't go ahead and pay taxes to Caesar. Trying to get him in trouble with the reigning authorities now. It puts him in kind of a tight spot, is the idea. Why do you tempt me? Like, it's great that he responds to that, to that invitation, this flattery and this sliminess with a very clear and direct rebuke because, it, because that's all that it deserves. It's all that it deserves from, from the beginning. Why do you tempt me? Okay, look, here's the deal. It's easy for us to, when we consider, especially nowadays in kind of a hot political, political climate, it's easy for, easy for us to toss around all kinds of pithy phrases and responses that, that, well, indicate where we have to stand, we ought to do, all these kinds of things. So there's a truth in some of them. But normally sound bites, I think as all of us know, I don't care what your favorite news source is, all of us know that sound bites have a bit of truth and probably a pretty decent amount of lie. And so our Lord is able to see through all of that. It's important for us as Catholics also to have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit within us to be able to parse a lot of the difficulties and challenges, okay, a lot of the sound bites that we are continually bombarded with, especially in this last month or so leading up to the election in November. One of the ways that we oftentimes consider this gospel, and it's a beautiful way, I think, on a certain level, when our Lord says... Whose image and whose inscription are on this coin, this Roman coin? Caesar is fine. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. We reflect, and rightly so on some level, well, what is it that has the image of God? Because that's clearly the thing that I'm supposed to offer to God. Well, the answer's easy. It's me. Like, I'm made in the image of God, and I'm supposed to offer myself to God. It's what I owe to Him. 
Certainly because of the way that he has created me, first and foremost. Even before the reality of sin and redemption. I didn't ask to be created. It's a, it's a total, gratuitous, loving, joyful gift of God that each of us is created in, in his image and likeness. It's kind of a cool thing when you think about it. And to know that God is so full of life and love and goodness that he wants to share that with the rest of us. Something that if I stop and reflect and recognize the gift that God has offered to me, I have no other appropriate response except to rejoice and give thanks and to, and to respond to God and, and ultimately worship and adoration. That's why the, the virtue of religion is a language that we use. So we call a, a part of the virtue of justice. Religion is something that I, that I owe to God on some level. I totally can call to give of myself in that way to him in adoration, not because he needs it. God didn't create us out of need. Ultimately, I need it, don't I? Because it recognizes truth, it recognizes the reality of existence. So I want to be able to be in conformity with the way things actually are, as opposed to the way that I feel like they are, the way that I think they ought to be. I recognize reality. I allow the reality to affect me in the way that I live, in the way that I act. Tangentially to that, there's another virtue that we call piety. We think of piety normally as, well, things in the church and someone's very pious and okay, whatever. Virtue of piety, classically, is actually a little different. It's the honor and reverence that I owe, first and foremost, to my parents. It's the fourth commandment. And also to my country. We might, might call it now the virtue of patriotism. And there's a reality here that I've received so much from both of those entities, haven't I? My parents cooperated like, with God in creating me. They, they become co-creators, right, when I'm conceived and, and when I'm born. Beautiful, beautiful reality. I owe my existence to them. I owe my, I owe my personality on some level to them. I owe all the things that I have in this world to them. And, some, and on, on some level, similarly with my country. There's a goodness in recognizing what our country has given to us. In fact, it's actually the root why there's oftentimes difficulties amongst cultures when they come together. Because we all inherently recognize the goodness of what my culture, my country, my people has offered to me. And naturally, we want, we want to share that. So there's something inherently good about all of this. But there's a deeper question we have to ask. And the question is this. Can I ever really adequately do justice to those who have been so good to me? Whether it's my country, or my parents, or my God. And I think in our heart of hearts we know the answer. I can't. Because the things that I have been given are so great, are so deep, they're so effective in my own life that how in the world can I repay? The psalmist says it like this, with what shall I make a return to the Lord for all the good things that he has done for me? I will take the cup of salvation, he says, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. In other words, my response 
only response is to continue to ask for more from God, recognizing His infinite goodness and His infinite love for me. Ultimately, we know it's a reference to the Blessed Sacrament, to take the cup of salvation and to continue to call upon the name of the Lord. The heart cries out, though, for this ability to be able to do justice. Prophet Micah wrestles with this with regards to his own sin. He says, what, with what am I to, to come before the Lord recognizing my sin? Myriads of rams or thousands of fat lambs? And he says something very, well, prophetic, as you might expect. Shall I offer to him my firstborn, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? This is a powerful language, isn't it? It's also a powerful reflection on what it means to offer to God everything that I am. So going back to our Lord's words, whose image is this and whose inscription? Well, you know what? Good. I've got the image down, I guess. I made the image of God, like it or not. Sometimes they don't always show that forth in a beautiful way. But the image is there. You know what I don't have? I don't have the inscription. So think of that Roman coin. There's an image of Caesar, and right above it, there's an inscription. If I'm looking for the image of the invisible God and the inscription above him, there's only one place that I can look, and that's right up here at the cross. He is the image of the invisible God, and right above him, there's that inscription Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. In other words, in offering to God his only begotten Son, that's my path, as it were, to fulfilling in total and complete justice, injustice, what God has given to me. That's why we're here, isn't it? I'm here offering this sacrifice. I'm here offering to the Father again the one sacrifice of Christ. His image, the image of God, and the inscription. This needs to be, for us, the fundamental perspective of our lives. There's a lot of sin in the world, isn't there? It's easy to see all of it. And the temptation in the political arena, let's be honest, is to try to fix all of that sin. And it becomes a temptation, meaning something actually contrary to God, when I try to use political means to accomplish what Christ has already accomplished. I can't do it, and I ought not to. That's why certain things are sinful. You know, in the context of this election, and the bishops last year, and our bishop just recently, has issued a statement indicating that life issues are to hold the preeminent place a hard conversation for some to hear in different ways. But if we consider that issue, especially the issue we at least euphemistically call a woman's right to choose, then you know what I'm talking about. If we consider that just for a moment, we see how those who promote it as a right, something that is well, ultimately apart from God, but a right 
is how they call it. Well, they're doing something that is stepping into the place of God in an unhealthy and incorrect kind of a way. Why? Because it's easy for us to see sin and injustice. Rights are things that ultimately are supposed to safeguard justice, aren't they? Safeguard justice for myself or for another. Fair enough. If that is a right, if abortion is a right, somehow it's supposed to achieve justice. Well, in the face of injustice, what's the natural thing that I do is I, well, I want to make up for it in some kind of a way. We as Catholics, in the face of injustice, well, we offer the innocent one, our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who actively promote abortion as a right offer thousands of innocents, don't they? Something almost impossible to say and to continue to talk about because of the pain that it causes. So I offer the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Isn't that what that looks like? It's a scary thing, isn't it? To say that something else something so precious and beautiful could be offered instead of him, one who freely chose to offer himself for us. So as you consider all of the things that are weighing on our society today and in this world, I ask you to please consider that. 2017, the number was 860,000. 860,000. It's hard to hear. There's a reason it's, it's the preeminent thing to consider and to think about. Our Lord knows that nobody, well, regardless of what you think of politicians, thus says the Lord to his anointed one, Cyrus, this guy who sent Israel back from Babylon to Jerusalem so that they could rebuild the temple. This guy's a pagan. Wasn't exactly a good person, whatever that means, right? And yet God uses him. Not for his own sake, but for the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen one. I've given you a title, even though you knew me not. But don't forget, I am the Lord, and there is no other. So today, today we turn to the altar again. We turn to our Lord, that innocent and just one, who enters into all injustice. He becomes sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness, right, the justice of God.